Welcome to No Persinium's Review Crew. This is episode 46, and I'm Leah Davis, your New England correspondent. I'm also wearing my uh, totally rad Hellfire Club shirt because um, F you jocks, satanic panic's not real. <laughs> and with me today, we have <laughs> Laura Hess, the arts editor. <laughs> uh, okay, Team Hellfire or. Uh, I don't, I'm not wearing, I'm, I'm in my sort of usual uniform of like all black. So the only interesting thing that I can contribute right now is that I am recording this from my closet. So um, just, you know, this is the most sort of acoustic friendly place. So I am ensconced in my closet. As okay. What I'm, what I'm hearing is that you'd fit right in with the, the nerds and the art kids. Um, so, so you're cool. We can keep doing this, this podcast today. Oh, okay, great. I feel so much better already. <laughs> so today we are um, taking an opportunity to talk about some Stranger Things. Um, not just the Stranger Things experience that's happening in New York through the end of July, but a whole host of Stranger Thing- Things events and products that have happened um, since, gosh, when was your event, Laura? Yeah, so the uh, Stranger Things experience that I'm going to speak about was back in December of 2020. So this was in Los Angeles. This was the Stranger Things drive into experience. And um, we've had a really big gap between season three and season four. And obviously, you know, pandemic uh, driven. And so we're going to kind of break down these different activations how they've navigated restrictions around the pandemic, how they've incorporated different uh, design elements and storytelling elements and sort of what we think that this might mean about the future of immersive design. Dang, man, I was, I was just gonna talk about pizza. <laughs> well, we're gonna talk about that too. <laughs> all right, all right. So Stranger Things, the experience. Um, I'm really stoked because we've got these two pretty different experiences uh, that have happened two years apart. And uh, I think I'd like to hear a little bit more about your experience before I talk about the one that's happening out in New York and will be happening out in San Francisco. Yeah, so this was um, this was interesting because, so this was a drive into experience and this was um, co-produced by Secret Cinema and Fever and Netflix. And this was not, I think, um, there are other drive-throughs, you know, a more processional experience that people are familiar with. And you don't stop your vehicle. Um, it's a very, like, slow procession. And this was a very different situation. So this was uh, downtown Los Angeles, and this was the drive-into experience. And there were some online pre-show experiences that you could do or, you know, engagement that you could uh, plan your outfit. And there were some fun interactions that you could do online ahead of time. I didn't get as deep into that. Um, What I did appreciate was that the kind of narrative reasoning around why we were staying in our cars for this was all presented as a Hawkins reunion. And there was a chemical leak in Hawkins. And so this was why we had to stay in our cars and such a bummer that there was this chemical leak. But of course that dovetailed perfectly with the Stranger Things um, storyline and um, 
what we know about the Hawkins lab. And so right off the bat, it felt like, okay, there's this makes sense why we're kind of stuck in our little like car snow globes. And they set this up into a four-part um, process. It was initially, there was kind of this, um, you're in the uh, parking lot and some really fun things where we did like um, glove box bingo. And so it's sort of, you know, referred to as like the junk drawer of your car. And the way that you did all of this was um, everyone tuned into the same radio station and the casting was incredible. There's actors moving around. There's um, car hops who served both atmospheric roles and kind of some like, um, you know, clearly like functional duties. So this was all really, really well designed in terms of what you're able to get from the experience in terms of like food and beverage. You could also order merch, but then the, the narrative. And so you moved then into a parking lot and there were three separate chapters within that parking lot. And the way that they utilized the parking lot, this existing structure, which is pretty you know bland and, and banal, and um, had this whole like Russian chapter that felt like you were, you know, in this kind of Russian underneath, like the, the kind of bunker situation. Um, you moved into the upside down. That was the third chapter and the fourth chapter, which was this, um, you know, kind of big finale on the roof. And the way that it was staged was so in alignment with the narrative. And the way that I've tried to explain this is that the the narrative informed the design, which then also kind of almost informed the narrative. So they created this really amazing virtuous cycle. Um, and what I mean by that, like I'll give a specific example in this sort of um, Russian chapter, um, because you've got a whole row of cars. So again, you, it's not full processional. You'd go to these different floors and then you'd stop the car. And that really gave you a chance to kind of sink into and immerse yourself into this experience. And um, so there's all these cars. This was so well-timed um, because then each floor uh, to the next chapter, all of those cars had to be timed. Um, and it was, again, really seamless in terms of those transitions. But you've got loads of cars that are on this one level. And they, the way that they did that narratively was they doubled the cast. And there's... Um, in Stranger Things, for you know, I guess spoiler alert uh, for people that might not be caught up with season three, but you really should be at this point. Um, there's a key, and um, the, the key opens the the gate, and they doubled this, so they they created a mirrored staging, and then they doubled the cast, and so of course that works in terms of visibility. Everyone in their car is going to be able to then have be able to see, and then there's more likelihood that you're going to be able to interact with the cast. But then what they, they didn't leave it at that. What they brought together then in the very center of this parking garage was this really interesting interplay between the two Robins, for example. And um, it was Robin and Steve and Dustin that are um, running around and... Um, and so they, they leveled up on the narrative itself. There was a really interesting kind of, you know, interplay and sort of winking around some of the narrative elements that then worked so well in the staging. And so that kind of level of detail, that kind of thoughtfulness, it amplified the whole experience. It wasn't just, oh, I can see, 
or I get to kind of interact with these actors as much as possible while I'm in my car, it really kind of deepens the narrative of Stranger Things. So you feel very, very engaged and you also feel like the actual narrative through lines are enhanced by this experience, if that makes sense. It, it really, really does. And I'm glad you're able to articulate this because you're putting a finger on something I've been feeling about the Stranger Things transmedia storytelling, um, mm-hmm. the, this ability that Stranger Things has to uh, just tell their story across so many different platforms and in t- so many different spaces. Uh, it's just, it's, it's thoughtful and very efficient. Um, and I, I don't, I don't mean that it's done quickly. I mean that every time they see an opportunity, they, they make the most of it. Exactly. Uh, yes. Yeah. 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 So it was, I mean, it was, I thought, you know, everything that you can look at in terms of the, the levels of interactivity, um, and the, the scale of it. And again, there were duplications on the, um, in the final chapter and the finale that again, they were additive. It was, it didn't just feel, cause I agree with you. It's very efficient. It's very economical, but that doesn't mean that anything feels reduced. They're very thoughtful in the design. And so everything felt additive. It was economical and it was incredibly additive. So it sounds like you didn't have to, well, you clearly didn't have to go to the event to enjoy stranger things season three, and you didn't necessarily need to have watched St- Stranger Things 3 to enjoy the event, but the two together really amplify each other. I mean, it's hard for me to say because I, I'd seen, um, I mean, I was a big fan of the show. And so I, I, I knew those narrative through lines. I knew the plot. I knew the characters. I don't know what, I would be curious to talk to someone who, if there were people that went that hadn't seen the show or they weren't really a fan of the show, maybe they'd seen some episodes. I don't know that some of that would have made sense, but I do think that you don't necessarily have to know everything to enjoy it. So yes, I do think there are some things that I just described like in that that um, second chapter that's the like Russian underground bunker um, I don't know that some of that would have made sense, but I definitely think, I mean, it was a spectacle and in, in all the best ways. Man, I, I wish I could have um, joined you for that one. That sounds like, it sounds like a great time. Uh, it, was, it sounds like a singular time too. It was wonderful. I've never done a drive into quite like that. And again, I think that it, it raises some interesting design questions around like when we're using our vehicles is a processional the right tactic. You know, there's a lot of, especially like that was December of 2020. So there's a lot of like holiday kind of drive through light shows and they're very festive and those are wonderful. But from when you're looking at something like this, that is a a television property, how can you best tell certain stories and where does movement facilitate that? And where does movement interrupt that? Well, okay. So if the pandemic hadn't been a factor, do you think that, well, I think I'm answering my own questions. I, I was going to ask if, do you, do you think that Netflix or, uh, would have considered staging it in cars anyways? And the answer is clearly no. But do you think there was some benefit gained here? I, I think so. I mean, I think that any time that we are, I think 
I mean, many people have said this, like limitations can be such a gift. And so while I don't think that anyone from Secret Cinema or Fever or Stranger or um, Netflix was thinking or Stranger Things was thinking um, like this is we're so glad the pandemic happened um, or was in, you know, in process. <laughs> but I do think that those kinds of limitations I think that this team handled it brilliantly. And I think that's always a win for experience design to see, again, not only how did they accommodate those limitations, but how did they incorporate them in ways that expanded the experience and, and again, leveled up and offered new insight into like, how can we engage in other ways? Because it really was a singular experience. It was, I was so delighted by it. Um, I mean, I, I went into it not really knowing what to expect, and I thought it was utterly charming, and I was completely absorbed. I mean, you know, there, there's moments that are terrifying. It's Stranger Things, but it was so engaging. Well, that's that's a great place for us to ten- transition over to uh, the most recent Stranger Things experience. So I had the pleasure of attending this experience in Brooklyn uh, just a few weeks ago, and I think they must have learned Netflix, uh, Stranger Things, Fever, all of these people must have learned a lot from the people moving experience of 2019, 2020, uh, of moving those cars around because the people moving of this, of this on foot walkthrough experience was just phenomenal. It, um, I don't know if I'm going to like get in trouble if, if like the, the mouse is going to come in through my window tonight or what, but <laughs> it rivaled, it rivaled Disneyland. It was, it was some really efficient, beautiful work. Um, so listen, that's just um, from the, the experience design geek side of me. Uh, <laughs> Which I actually want to, I want to dive into it before you move on to anything else. I, I, I would love to, I mean, you were great in your review of not revealing too much, but I also now, as someone who will not be unfortunately getting to Brooklyn anytime soon, I want to unpack this a little bit more because the, it's interesting where this is being guided and led and timed and where there is this other kind of sandbox, self-driven experience. And I want to understand better how these things are working in conjunction with one another. Sure. So the the framework that I want to provide for people who have um, not been to this experience yet is think of it like a a really popular theme park ride. And the the overall experience, like the, the framework is you stand in line, you have things to do in line that are atmospheric, um, you have some engagement with people, but it's primarily about getting to the event. Uh, and then you are um, allowed to walk through a timed ride, essentially, where there are a few different stations, uh, things happen, and then you are spit out into um, what is essentially a gift shop um, with lots of stuff to do, sort of the amusement park open world area. And what this looks like for the Stranger Things event is um, right from the very beginning, you told, you're told that you are coming to Hawkins for a sleep study. You know, welcome back to Hawkins. Welcome to Hawkins. Uh, thank you for coming to our sleep study. We're going to sort you. We're going to get you all sorted out. Whatever is ailing you, we're going to take care of it. Have you been having weird dreams? <laughs> You've been sleepwalking. I was asked if I'd been sleep eating. Um, so oh, that's great. Yeah, man. Woke up on the ground, just chocolate chip cookies everywhere. Um, 
the the theme then was we've got these concerned local doctors who are hearing about weird dreams and people are coming from all over the U.S. to Hawkins to the sleep study to, to figure out what's up. Um, spoiler from this point on, once you get into the sleep study, you are going to find yourself in some very familiar rooms if you've watched Stranger Things uh, season four, especially the Rainbow Room. And it turns out you are not being sleep studied so much as you are being assessed for powers. And um, you're all very powerful listeners. So no surprises, you all have powers. And they do a really interesting thing in the beginning where they set you up um, in in color-coded groups and give you some very light information about how to interact when you get into the rooms. Um, But the actors are clearly gifted, immersive, interactive actors uh, who are very good about moving you where you where you need to be depending on your your colored wristband uh, and they provide the, the 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 interaction that happens there is not bespoke but they make it feel really personalized and what I mean is uh, so so I was um, a colored wristband that meant that I had physical powers and Occasionally, the person running the study would tell the physical powered people to make a certain motion and sort of point it towards, say, a Coke can. And the the gag that would happen then would be the Coke can would move in a dramatic way. And it felt very much like I was having this very personal interaction, but clearly this is happening for the whole group. And uh, they just did a beautiful job of, of taking these large group experiences and making them feel like like they are are pointed at you, the individual. Um, so that's actually, that is just to like drill down on this for a second. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that is something that's like, that's on rails, but it winds up feeling like it's personalized. Very much so. And, you know, you've got little moments of interaction, but they're very light uh, and none of it is going to change any of the outcome. This is okay. essentially a theme park ride. Uh and it's a theme park ride that gives you a lot of insight into the the Stranger Things universe and the Upside Down. You're you're getting hints at some violence. There are no real jump scares. There's some very interesting projection technology that happens that makes you feel like there's a lot more going on around you, uh, given the limited space that you're in. And once you go through, there there are a few different rooms in this experience, and uh, it's delightful. I, I highly recommend it. Uh, this timed experience, you are then let out into the world of the mixtape, which is a combination of the Starcourt Mall from seasons past and some new entities from season four. So you've got Surfer Boy Pizza and- uh, You've got Scoops Ahoy, right? You do have you do have Scoops Ahoy. You can go get yourself an ice cream there. Yes. Um, there's a whole bunch of different places that just feel like they're very well built out and they are populated by these characters that are very in-world and they are willing to interact with you. And some of them have stories or information. Um, But to be honest, I spent most of my time talking with some of the characters and just riffing with them and having a great time and learning about all of their crushes and who, who was gay and who wasn't gay and all of this stuff that they were clearly making up on their own, but it was just like so delightful and so ridiculous um, without at all breaking any of the immersion. Um, and I think that was my highlight of the of the experience was my time spent in mixtape. So to answer there, your question. Oh, okay, keep going. Okay, <laughs> because we, we took the long way, the long way there. But to answer your question, um, 
they're the, the first part is timed. And I think that whoever has designed the mix, the mixtape has designed it optimally to make it so that, you know, if you were really taking your time, you've got an, about an hour's worth of stuff you can do there. Just um, within the mixtape. Just within the mixtape. And this is the, the sandbox area where you are free to roam. You can stay as long as you like. Um, I was pretty invested in making sure I saw everything. And I think I was there for about an hour, maybe a little, a little hour and more. And how long is the timed experience beforehand? I am awful with time. I'm going to say about 20 minutes, um, but there's a large amount of waiting time in advance of that. And in the waiting time, uh, in in the waiting area, there's plenty of places to take some pictures. There's lots of little like chats and videos happening that make you feel like you're part of the Hawkins experience. Um, So none of it was tedious. Uh, It was surprisingly well done. And I I think it was drawing a lot from uh, an understanding of theme parks and obviously from these previous... uh, interactive and immersive events. I think that, um, so just to reference some other Netflix, because I do think Netflix is really a standout with these experiential activations for their shows. So the recent Bridgerton experience and then Arcane. um, So it sounds like for this New York experience, um, there's no filler. So going back to that very efficient and economical approach, I feel like with all of these, you can you can sort of luxuriate in certain moments or with certain performers or in certain spaces, but it doesn't sound like there's anything that felt like filler. Hmm. Or am I I'm wrong about chew- that? No, no, no. I'm going to chew on that for a second because I think you're right. I want to say yes. Um, what I will say is that the mixtape, sandbox experience for for the the New York Stranger Things experience um, just really had stuff for everyone. Uh, there was a bar, there were plenty of food and drink options. Uh, there was an arcade filled with free 80s style stand-up. Uh, what are these called? Why am I blanking on these? I, I just call them arcade games, but I arcade don't know. Arcade games. Okay, well, if anyone knows what those are called, please um, comment <laughs> on, on the presidium. Um Box games with joysticks. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> there are lots of uh, photo opportunities, so it's a little bit Instagram factory-ish, but without feeling gross about it. Um, plenty of people to talk to, and also a little mystery to solve if you start looking around. So well, that's what I was going to ask because at, okay. at Bridgerton, for example, there, if you wanted to, there was a scavenger hunt. So, and I do think that these layers, I'm interested in um, what, what are the potential layers of engagement and of discovery and of interactivity. So there was some sort of like a mystery situation. There was, and I think that's the only part where the experience fell down for me. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, it was, uh, a bit of a scavenger hunt that allowed you to do some online trivia. Um, and it ended with uh, a reward, which personally felt kind of lame to me, but, um, okay. But I'll let other people make their own decision if they want to go check it out. Or can you say without spoiling, like, can you say why it felt lame or unsatisfying? Like what the, the payoff wasn't there or did it feel like it deviated from the world in a way that it took you out? Oh, interesting. I hadn't really thought of that, but definitely yes, um, because 
it was an in-game mystery that then took us out into these little um, trivia moments with actors from Stranger Things. So it was the actors instead of the the characters. So that part did not feel great to me. Also, the reward for finishing the the mystery was a sticker that said number one fan. So I'm spoiling it right here. Um, and that just felt lame. Like that felt like, oh, you, you're not seeing me. You don't know what I'm about right here. Yeah. Hmm. Fine. Okay. okay. Um, I, I almost would have rather have had a, a postcard or like a, something else in world. We're already in world. So let's continue let's the in world theme. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, but frankly, that, that sounds like I'm, I've got a complaint and I, I don't because I think that when I say there's something for everyone, I think this is also one of those moments of something for everyone, right? Like whoever's going to enjoy this is going to enjoy that part of it. So let's go back to this, um, this description of it being a theme park, but without the roller coaster. Oh and- man, I am so excited about this. I can't stop <laughs> thinking about it <laughs> because here's, here's my hot prediction um, for everyone listening to this, making bets about what the future of entertainment holds. <laughs> um, I think I think what we saw in the beginning of the exploration of immersive events, um, these activations like South by Southwest World, uh, or even the Good Omens theme park at, in Austin a few years ago, um, these were spectacles in support of, of narrative uh, of narratives, period. And the idea was people would go and they would have an experience and then they would talk about it. And I think what has changed now is we've we've gone through this process a few times and now we've found a way not just to create the immersive experience in support of the narrative, but to make it a part of the overall narrative environment um, and to monetize it. And one of the... <sighs> Hold on, let me just pause for a second and say, uh, I, I, I don't know if anyone else is out there, but I love gift shops. <laughs> I love, I love gift shops. It's like my favorite part of going to theme parks. I love seeing the stuff that people wanted to create to get other people to buy. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's the first love. The second love is in-world merchandise. I don't want a shirt that says, again, sorry, mouse, Disneyland. I want something that says, enjoy Thunder Mountain. Um, I wanna feel like I'm part of this space, right? So something that the Stranger Things experience did really, really well is scattered throughout the mixtape are opportunities to buy themed merchandise. Uh, and the merchandise is appropriate to the to the various spaces of the mixtape. So if you're at Scoops Ahoy, theoretically, you could buy ice cream and a t-shirt. Um, or if you're in the arcade, you might buy some uh, Star Court Mall stuff, or in the Hellfire Club, um, they've got these rad T-shirts with devils and <laughs> twenty-sided die. Um, so, what they're offering are ways to buy your way into a stronger immersive experience, and I am just—I am here for it. I can't help it; I love it. Um, so, so my prediction here is—is is now that we're finding ways to prioritize the immersive experience, and we're finding ways to monetize the immersive experience, you're going to be seeing more of these theme park-esque interactive experiences that aren't necessarily tied to a single location. And I think that's the really interesting part here. We're setting up in a pre-existing warehouse in Brooklyn. It's not going to be here forever. Um, it's highly modular and mobile um, while being 
phenomenally well produced. The production value for this is just you you don't walk into here you don't walk into this event and think oh this is something that's going to be gone in a month it feels very permanent um and i think that this prediction is bearing out already a little bit in that uh the stranger things experience is coming to san francisco i think next month later this summer so i guess okay i'm going to push back on this a little bit so how do you see stranger things offering merch which there there was some merch offered during the drive-in to experience. I'm not a big merch person. Um, I don't tend to like a lot of stuff. I do think that there might be moments where I've kept my mask from the very first uh, performance of Sleep No More that I went to. So there are times where I'll keep a memento or something that feels kind of like a totem that, that feels like there's emotional resonance tied to that. And so I want to hold on mm-hmm. to that. But in general, I'm not a big merch person. Um, I'm really interested in, in having the experience. And that generally is enough for me. So I think let's take these examples that you've presented. Let's, you know, we've got Disneyland or Disney World and, um, and Stranger Things. How do you feel like the, the monetization through merchandise and not just through ticketing or food and beverage um, how do you feel like the merch is somehow different or that the industry is, is leveraging merch in a different way? All right. So let's pull back a little bit because I think there's one other interesting aspect of this and that's, um, marketing merchandise outside of the experience. Right. So very soon after having gone to the experience, um, I found myself in a Walmart and I was, picking up some snacks and I turned the corner and I was walking down the frozen pizza aisle and there with very little fanfare was a a line, you know, maybe two shelves worth of surfer boy jalapeno and pineapple frozen pizza. (laughs) And I did a double take because I recognized this brand, but I didn't know from where, and there was no big sign that said stranger things. It was just there. That's interesting. Um, Okay. Yeah, and and this is in line with um, a campaign that was run in London very recently as well. Um, there were a series of posters put up around town that had a handful of capitalized letters, and if you collected those letters and turned them into an, uh, if you solved the anagram, it would give you a place. And if you went to that place on the first day of Stranger Things, there was a rift open and you could go to a pizza parlor and get a Demogorgon, Demogorgonzola pizza, period, period. <laughs> so that's the experience here. And I think the reason that I that I find in-world merch so fascinating and um, satisfying is that it feels like it's giving me an opportunity to build those kind of moments in for other people. Um, and if we're talking about looking at something like South by Southwest world, where it really was just the experience period, right. Um, where we are, where, where the get there is people have an experience and then they talk about it. This is doing that like iteratively in a way out in the world where now I'm going to be wearing my, my hellfire club t-shirt out in the universe, creating this moment where stranger things has bled not just the entity, but like the narrative and the characters in the world has bled over into our universe a little bit more. 
um, making the entire story and show feel more immersive, I think across the board. So, so when I say that like Disney world merch that says Disneyland or or Disney world or what have you on it doesn't do much for me, it's because it's, it's not shifting anything about our day-to-day existence. But when I, have an in-world t-shirt from the Tiki Room. By the way, I don't have any of these things, so I don't know why I keep talking about it. <laughs> but but I'm I'm creating part of a narrative and I am then I am then also a part of the narrative. And I think that's what's really appealing to me. I mean I think that um I, I think I'm I'm essentially going to yes and you, but I think that based on what you're saying around the pizza for me, especially the fact that there's no signage, there's no big, you know, kind of uh, neon arrow pointing uh, towards this pizza. The fact that this just feels so seamlessly integrated into our real lives without any kind of fanfare, that to me is where that would catch me so off guard and would be such a surprise and delight moment um, that, I mean, these are really difficult to orchestrate because. Uh, I mean, people have decision fatigue, you know, I mean, just you even talking about Walmart, I'm, I'm kind of gripped with terror. I mean, <laughs> you know, like the, the, just the, the, the eye, the volume of like aisles and stuff and, and whatever. And so, I mean, people are very busy, you know, people are always looking at their phones, they're walking around. It's so to not, it's a, it's a really risky to not have signage and promotion and all of that. And just to, to leave it there as this Easter egg in our day-to-day lives, uh, I think is really daring. It's really risky. And I think the payoff there can be huge. And I'm so interested in that blurring and, and waiting to see sort of who discovers. And that does take a lot of patience. And um, I mean, for me, that would be a moment that would have a huge amount of impact. I think the payoff is definitely there. Um, and it is, I, I would love to know what, um, I mean, this is not a great example, but it's the first one that comes to mind back in, I don't even know what year it was. I mean, it's quite a while ago, but the movie District 9, and they did a fantastic campaign that was utilizing, you know, um, benches and bus stops and billboards. And it it just said report non-human activity. And there was a number. Mm. And the apparently Sony was really taken aback by how many people called in. I mean, not even knowing what they were, you know, report non-human activity. Um, and some people might have had a better sense of what, you know, what the movie was about and what they're calling in about and sort of checking it out. But they got this just overwhelming flood of phone calls. Um, and and that was really, I mean, my understanding, I'm, I'm certainly probably forgetting some details, but um, that was just presented in our very much again like these kind of you know mundane day-to-day spaces uh, where we know we expect advertising it's not that that's a shock but report non-human activity and having a phone number and a phone number that you could call and and again it's in world and you can leave a message and so i really appreciate um i think something that i certainly would love to see more in terms of industry trends and where we're going with all this is yeah that there's a, a the pop-up activations, they're fantastic. The experiential marketing, I mean, there's so much that's been such a joy, so much fun. And yet I'm also eager to see things more like Surfboard Pizza just kind of sitting in Walmart for you to discover. 
that feels like a different uh, trend or transition into how are we engaging in this way that you're describing, where there's a real kind of bleed and integration between the narrative, what's in world, and how that's now overlapping into our own day-to-day lives and how we're becoming a part of it. And I mean, it feels like a real kind of upside down exchange, like we're becoming a part of it and it's becoming a part of us. Ooh, Ooh, I got got shivers. Um, (laughs) You know, what what I hope the industry takes away is that... I want to see more of this, but I hope that they understand how easy it is to get this wrong. And just because this experience, this Stranger Things experience makes it look effortless doesn't mean that it is. Um, So whoever is on that team and thinking about the experience design and the human interaction and what the intro and outro to each of these little moments of interaction are, like keep doing that. Um, <laughs> I, I think I, I'm thinking about like who answered the phone at Sony when, <laughs> when, when people called this number and what happened. Um, I mean, it was some sort of automated, um, you know, it, they had a service that they had set up. I think they were just so I, I, my recollection is there was no live interaction. It was all pre-recorded. I don't know if there was a kind of a very basic menu. I don't think it was like an extensive phone tree situation like that. But I, I, I think that the, the, the sheer volume of calls that they got and people leaving messages um, was so far beyond what they expected. And um, yeah, I mean, I just think that like these, I wish I could go to like hearing you talk about and reading a review and certainly with my past experiences with Uh, with Netflix and with Stranger Things specifically, there is, of course, a huge part of me that would love to be able to go to New York, experience this in person for myself. But I think what is so exciting about, again, this surfer boy pizza moment is how that, I mean, first of all, that's obviously a lot more scalable. So that's an issue that we talk about a lot. So how do you potentially have different touch points for people that maybe aren't in major markets Um, how can you sort of spread that out? So there's a scalability issue. There's maximizing, um, engagement through those touch points, um, that, that are smaller. So I think, but, but, but even beyond that, I mean, again, it just feels to me like this blending, this integration, this blurring, um, without all of the, the publicity. I mean, certainly it's publicity in itself, but of course there will be people that don't know, Oh, Surfer Boy Pizza, that strange. Did you look at the, um, like, what did it say on the box? Did you take it out? Did it have? Oh, I didn't only, I not only took it out, I, I took it home. Um, I, I baked that pizza. It was glorious. It was the glorious cardboard pizza of our youth. I loved everything <laughs> about it. So um, what does the box say? It must include, is it completely in world or does it say Stranger Things and Netflix and have that kind of clear marketing on it? It does have some clearer marketing on the back. So the front, um, you know, I I, I will not swear that it didn't have Netflix or Stranger Things on the front, but if they had it, it was uh, seamlessly designed into the overall Surfer Boy logo. Uh, It looked like a pizza box. It did not look like it was anything special. And on the back, there was more information about Stranger Things, including um, a little illustration of of our character Argyle, the pizza boy from season four. (laughs) 
Yeah. I mean, I would, God, I would love to sort of stake out a Walmart and um, just lurk in the aisle and see who comes down and who notices it. I mean, obviously we can check on social media and see what's being posted around that, but I would love to see people's real-time reactions to that. Um, I think that kind of like, that kind of subtlety is something to really celebrate. I agree. And I think, I think ultimately this is what can make immersive experience so enjoyable. Um, Feeling like you are part of the story that you're aware of something that maybe not everyone is noticing Um, because face it, didn't we all grow up hoping that there was some other story behind the veil all the time. Um, And and this provides that for us in small ways daily. Uh, So yeah, I I love to see it. And if you do end up stalking people in Walmart, I mean, Hey, let me know Uh, at the very least I can get bail money for you. (laughs) (laughs) Gosh. I don't know if we should, should we end there? I mean, I, I, you know what? I think, I think that's great. It's been great talking to you, Laura, especially about Stranger Things. Uh, yeah, I hope likewise. all of you listening get out there. Uh, and you know what? If you miss the Stranger Things experience, that's okay. Cause I think there's going to be more of these in our future, not just Stranger Things, but all sorts of immersive quasi theme park events. Um, coming your way. So, so keep an eye out and let me know if you hear anything good. Cause I'd like to go. Yeah. As always, to see no... what comes down the pipeline. <laughs> I like that. We always get a little bit silly by the end of these, uh, these late night recordings with just you and me, Laura. This is true. <sighs> All right. Shall we? Yes, please. All right. Please. No proscenium is a labor of love. Everyone on staff who you hear on podcasts and read on the site are volunteers. You can support this work by donating to the No Proscenium Patreon. Even 2 or $5 a month helps. If you're enjoying Review Crew or the main No Proscenium podcast, you can also support us by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You got that? Five stars only. Uh, you could also do it on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. So thanks a lot. <laughs>